What, what's wrong with the Australian film industry? Just about everything. Good evening and welcome to Midnight Video's Doomsday Clock, our cataclysmic countdown from the cult canon with your host, me, Phil Walsh. And me, Jim Hall. Tonight, with the hands poised at nine minutes to midnight, we rev our engines and head down under with the grave diggers for Bonza Biker Brawl action in 70s exploitation favourite Stone. <laughs> countdown continues and finally we're getting a little exploitation yeah in our fourth week yeah i think we've had a bit over the show i remember like about a year ago when i was doing a list of all the stuff we were going to be covering in future shows and having to divide up all the stuff from uh, the pacific rim there were a lot of australian and new zealand films and ultimately i think a lot of them fell by the wayside yeah, unfortunately yeah. yeah but tonight we're going to make amends yeah there's a lot to be got from them and um We've got this treat. If anyone's familiar with absolutely brilliant documentary, not quite Hollywood, they'll probably be familiar with this. There's a, a nice small section about it. I think even Quentin Tarantino said this is one of the greatest films ever made. Uh, it can't be remade. He doesn't say that about just like. anything. Well, I'm supposed to find out who's knocking you blokes off and why. Well, for Christ's sake, man, I mean, you think if we knew that we wouldn't be out there kicking the shit out of ourselves? Where members of their gang wind up detonated, decapitated and high-diving off cliffs, wild-living Aussie biker club the Gravediggers want to take out their own brand of justice. They certainly don't want a plain-clothes copper reining them in to get the job done by the book. But, as a grudging respect grows, who is the most to learn on the road to revenge and honour? I did mention briefly before the uh, Not Quite Hollywood documentary, which charts the exploits exploitations of um, Australian cinema from the early 70s through to uh, the mid 80s maybe a, a very rich period in that country's cinema because it's reflected around the world really you know this was a time when anything goes really there was no real clamp down on what could be seen yeah, on screen censorship had been relaxed considerably and yeah if anyone hasn't seen Not Quite Hollywood it's absolutely fantastic I was hoping to get a chance to watch it again uh, just in readiness for this show, I didn't in the end. But um, the the thing that struck me with that was so many of the films in it because it covers dozens and dozens of films, and I'd hardly heard of any of them. And I don't think I'm unusual in that. I think most people. I know the Mondo guys reviewed it around the time it came out, mm -hmm. and they were the same. You know, they actually did a little mini season, I think, afterwards. Yeah. But I remember watching that um, that documentary, and I'd heard of half a dozen films on it. Probably the the really famous ones like Mad Max, obviously. Patrick I'd seen mm -hmm. Harlequin do you know that one the weird Robert Powell yeah, yeah. Rasputin-y thing I had seen that before but yeah so many of them um, so many of them just not known at all but look fantastic and I'm almost a bit wary um, of going into those because the film the, the documentary is so enjoyable you do wonder if a lot of it is the thrill of just watching those trailers and there are so many great stories about it wasn't just that the censorship had been relaxed Australia, not to have a pop at them, but it just seemed to be operating with no health and safety. So, so many great anecdotes from the making of when <laughs> actors and things, not even stuntmen, stuntmen, you know, forget it, they were doing all sorts of stuff. 
but actors were just being roped in and saying, yeah, yeah, that would be great, mate. Just uh, <laughs> just hold on to this. It'll only go oh, a few feet. Uh, it's what's Henry his, Silver. Henry Silver. Henry yeah. Silver. But I think he's on the, the landing, landing uh, gear of a helicopter. <laughs> I think it's going to go about six feet up. <laughs> about the producer feet. takes great delight in describing this story about, like, Henry, he didn't have a head for heights. Yes. <laughs> but the clip they then show is it going way up. And obviously then it is a stuntman that falls and hits a load of electricity cables and explodes <laughs> in sparks. But anyway, we're getting off the point of this. But yeah, Stone, I remember from that. What was the story? Was it about the brawl between the biker gangs and it got really out of hand? That was one of the um, the anchors into into the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the the discussion about it was because there was a scene where the actors who were playing a bang of uh, a bang <laughs> a, a gang of bikers called the Gravediggers actually had like fisticuffs with a load of extras who were actually Hell's Angels yeah. and you know there's small interviews with uh, Sandy Harbour who wrote, produced, directed starred stars, in the yeah. film there's also an amazing stunt where this guy jumps, uh, does a bike jump 80 foot off a cliff and he really does it and it is extraordinary it's well, real thing, it's yeah. absolutely real it's absolutely amazing <laughs> and it's like especially I mean something I love is watching more so than watching the films themselves is on the James Bond uh, when we did Live and Let <laughs> yes, yeah. some of the stunts in that and a famous one is when he parachutes off on the skis and then the skis come off and he's got a parachute you know wonderfully in James Bond it's a it's a Union Jack parachute <laughs> that comes out yeah. um but now I remember hearing how dangerous that was not just for the obvious reasons but the fact that when the skis came off it nearly pierced the canopy and that would have screwed him it's relevant to this because I was watching it with that in mind and there's the drop, obviously the rider comes away from the motorbike but they're both pretty close together as they're going down, you're thinking that really could have gone and it's how are you going to land because yeah, you know, you you've got, got the momentum there, you're going to see yes, it was uh Shocking, and yeah, I think it's kind of appropriate we're talking about a particular stunt rather than the setup of the whole film. Because um, there's a, yeah, the film opens with just great moments like that, doesn't it? And they're kind of clustered; it's not peppered throughout. And that's the thing. This wasn't the film I was expecting at all. Um, it opens uh, almost like the pre-credit sequence. I think is a political rally, um, which worried me a bit because it seemed to be a guy campaigning about the environment and the bikers, uh, the grave diggers who we, we, you, you can be pretty sure they're going to be the, the heroes, the protagonists of the thing seem to be sort of um, declaiming him, shouting him down and you're a bit worried, oh man is this going to be just a real liberal bashing thing, it's going to be about the joys of getting drunk and not having any responsibility one of the great things about this and we'll, we'll discuss it in more detail later is it has got a real shifting target of kind of perspective in it and stuff, it doesn't it never just takes a hard line and say this is what the film's about this is what we're we're telling the audience they should be going along with no no it's very um, I think it was made intuitively like mm. it really comes across that, that Sandy Harbour had he had an idea I mean I, I, I know we've both watched the making of yeah. this that accompanies the uh, DVD that I have um, which is very insightful I mean the main thing about the extra um it's not so much a making of as a, a revisiting yeah, it it's after a mixture. 25 it, it goes into the making of pretty detail but it also covers the legacy of it yes I've not heard of this before not quite Hollywood mm. but it's a huge thing in Australia it was a Massive, huge success yeah. when it came out very cheap film to make so maybe be a bit wary of the grosses I mean it did make a load of money no, no, prob- um, no question about that but it was so cheap that to say it grossed this much 
maybe is a little bit out of whack with how successful it was. But it, obviously, the, the the bikers, the the genuine bikers, uh, biking community, have really to take this saying they've taken this to heart doesn't give it justice. They no, I mean totally, they, they've formed yeah they've formed the gangs about also. it. Like you know, there's, yeah. there's an obsession about it. Yeah. It's it's totally. I'm trying to think of an equivalent, really. Um, not really, because maybe. I mean, I'm not without sounding stupid, but maybe something like Harry Potter, where people have taken it to that extent of you know, there's like well, been not, this sort of build up. You know, now they've got this Harry Potter world that you can visit for the next two years, and yeah, it does sound ridiculous. That it, it's not far off that, but this is more realistic in some. Terms, that's the thing. Like, it, <laughs> for me, it's not the same as any other cult because yeah, with Harry Potter, you can take artifacts I suppose from that world and obsess about it but this is, they were living the life to begin with, the bikers in the film they saw their lives reflected to some extent and they've kind of adapted what they had already so they're genuinely living it 24 hours a day rather than they've just decorated their mm. houses to resemble it. If anything the documentary the making of doesn't really go in, because I'm sure I, I imagine there probably are people who just love the film and have but have 9 to 5 existences whereas for these guys they absolutely literally kind of they don't literally live and breathe it, but um, not far off. Though. Not far, yeah. They've they've absolutely adopted the code of it, but then the film reflected them in the first place. So the two things have kind of. But to get back to the on. film itself, yes. um, you have a setup of a lot of bikers from this particular gang are being killed, but they're being targeted, and there's some shadowy um, government agent involved there in some way, and you have the biker gang and. You have the protagonist, the titular Stone, who is a cop who has to find out why these bikers are being killed. Who who who's orchestrating all this? And he has to. He doesn't even have to infiltrate the gang in a sort of. Um, uh, Mister Pink, not Mister Pink. Who is he? Mister Orange. Mister Orange, Orange kind of way. He just comes straight out and says, "Look, guys, I've yeah. got to. I want to know what's going on." And they they weigh up the odds and like they, he becomes part of the gang properly he's, he's initiated into it and gets to learn I suppose it's an old device but because the audience are going to be outsiders to that world you have to have someone who's going to show you how it works and go through all the stages of it like I say not at all what I was expecting it's called Stone which sounds quite a sort of um, formidable name doesn't it yeah. he's an undercover cop He's absolutely not what you'd expect from that, though, is he? <laughs> no, when he first turns up, he's in a, he's, he, like, when he first turns up, he's wearing a white suit. He's riding a motorbike in a white suit, which apparently was the actor Ken Short with a red corner, with a red carnation, and not even like the you know the uh, the really great looking helmet with the visor. It's one of those little ones with a peak on it, you know. And he turns up, goes into the bar, and he's he's getting sort of pushed around immediately, verbally more to begin with. But immediately, the fact that one of the uh, I think one of the girls in the gang says. He's a cop. I remember him. He's, he's a, a pig. Cop. He's a pig. And <laughs> <laughs> the fact he's, he's busted immediately and someone else backs them up. And he's he, he's not like Clint Eastwood at all, is he? He's just got no. this really sort of depressed... He's faith, if anything. Yeah. Like. <laughs> the look on his face is just really kind of depressed, isn't it? Like, no, no, I am a cop. But, yeah. Um, and yeah, just making it clear that his job there is to make sure they don't go off and just there's a bloodbath. He wants to make sure things are done by the book. And, you know so much of that you know it really gets to the heart of what the podcast's about when zero budget filmmaking often it's red, red shit you know but mm. sometimes it can come up with something really extraordinary like this because no one holding the money has said this is how you need it to work you know yeah no no. I love it yeah completely unexpected you know and um, yeah I guess um, we've already discussed that stunt with the dive 
other couple of brilliant bits at the beginning <laughs> with the uh, the sort of piano wire decapitation, which is yeah, beautifully <laughs> done. Um, some poor guy who's just got a bunk up leaves with a smile on his face and then gets blown to pieces. <laughs> and you think, wow, it's going to be non-stop like this for ninety minutes. But that's that's kind of that out of the way. There's there's more action to come. But in mm. terms of those kind of set pieces, that's all uh, clustered at the beginning. All brilliantly done with extraordinary sound design yeah. as well. Oh, like. Yeah. I mean, like the whole sequence we were talking about a bit earlier with the rally, the political rally with the um, um, sort of environmental yeah. uh, politician, the very, very odd electronic score um, with like a didgeridoo in the background as well, yeah. like loops, and this guy, um, oh, what's it called, Hugh Keensburn, is actually uh, a British actor who emigrated to Australia to be with his girlfriend there, and he was at Rada. Yeah, and he managed to land some gigs over there. He was in the Man from Hong Kong as well. Oh, He's right, one of the, the detectives. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he he's just basically tripping his nuts off, and it's it's, it's so well done. Like, I mean, I'm not saying this is exactly how you <laughs> would be like off your face, but there's um, a way that they. Uh, the camera is like very subjective into how he's viewing everything because he's just wandering around blitzed off his tips yeah he's just wondering what the hell's and going again, on again you're thinking that that scene's going to be about he's so so off his head that he's going to kill this guy mm. it's not that at all is it you know, no it's no it, really it's very subversive <laughs> yeah. how it works like it's amazing it's it's very there's a lot of foresight in how this whole yeah. film's worked out even though it is quite episodic in nature that you know that i mean I've really, I've just got to say that, like Sandy Harbour, who who did this film, he's never made anything since, and it's just like the greatest waste of talent I've ever seen. I think oh, it, wasted it, talent. <laughs> yes, it's because uh, yeah, it's, it's really sad. Like. Um, I kind of almost assumed he was dead or something because <laughs> uh, he may be now. Actually, I don't know, but because the the documentary yeah, from around fifteen years, 15 years back yeah. or something, isn't it? And um, he seems very erudite on it, but he. He actually seems to have completely stuck by his guns to this. I don't think he was. If he was a biker before, it wasn't in a full-on way. It was kind no, of, he was definitely familiar not. with that lifestyle. But he had no, he gone. said he just used to drive yeah. his bike around, and then yeah. someone said to him one day, "Said, oh, you need to go to this bar, yeah. like where they all hang out." Yeah. And that's how he really formulated the idea yeah. for it. But like since Stone, which was like say more than made its money back, was a huge hit there. But he had massive troubles. It's a very long story. To cut it short, he had huge trouble getting it distributed internationally. And there's a whole because saga of the going Australian around. film yeah. uh, foundation. Oh god, yeah, yeah. There's a <laughs> whole whole saga of him going around Canon, yeah. failing to get distribution and. Um, in 75 yeah. but then getting it in 1980 when he went back by yeah. himself um, but he makes it clear that he's not really he's done like one day's work since and that was quite it was a bit of stunt work he was offered it offered stuff. he didn't yeah. do it yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah I, I'm, I I kind of admire that because this has kind of some parallels with Easy Rider or something it's yeah. like really guerrilla filmmaking it's this guy trying to do something really authentic and genuine and uh, not to have a go at Dennis Hopper, but obviously we know how his career panned out. Sometimes mm. he did some good stuff, but other, other times he was paying the mortgage, you know, but um, mortgages. <laughs> and this, there's, there's something really about, as we were saying, kind of with the, the cult following it has genuinely lives the lifestyle of it, you know. The, the, it, it really is a quite an extraordinary film. So it's, it's, it, the, the thing is, the way, um, certainly if you watch the making of, the people who admire this film believe these characters I mean they they, they 
there was a chapter of a motorbike gang became the grave diggers yeah. and they got the got uh, the, the motif yeah. and yeah. stuff and they talk about them as though they're real people I mean fiction has become reality mm. in some ways and also reverse as well because a lot of the actors in this weren't ever going to be big no. names there were people who did a little something to help their mates out and yeah. now they've fallen in with those guys and are mates with them and go around with them as well the, so they've almost it's a great blurring yeah. of realities yeah, like, yeah it's fantastic um, but yeah we're actually not really talking that much <laughs> about the film here, are we? that's but quite telling as well yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's, um, it's quite a profound <laughs> those those great set pieces are all at the beginning I was mentioning Easy Rider earlier this does seem to be more of a celebration, I'm going to say, of the biker lifestyle. Uh, a lot of it is the initiation ceremonies. And it's a lot of them is them hanging around and talking, you know. Mm. I suppose the philosophy of it seems kind of trite now, but it's like not taking it from the man. And, uh, you know, you must be mad if you have a nine-to-five job and stuff or, you know, someone tells you to go off and fight a war that's nothing to do with you. And it, it, it's easy to sort of roll your eyes at it but yeah it's kind of difficult to uh, I think it's extremely it. poignant yeah. to be honest I think more so than say like Oliver Stone doing like Platoon in 1986 was it 85 or 86 or yeah I think without laying it on thick like that I think what Sandy Harbour and those guys were doing in 1974 much closer to the time yeah because a lot of people don't realise that Australia was heavily involved with Vietnam yeah like, and the fact is that there was a lot of lost souls who came back to Australia who were like you know they they'd do the marches through the the, the victory marches yeah. which were futile anyway and they were spat on and uh, separated from um, from society yeah, because totally marginalised yeah and what what this does is I think most people in these biker gangs were from those sort of uh, they've been in the military they've been serving in these uh, in these war zones and they felt like apart from society and so they had to form something to be themselves I don't think it's a celebration of like being rebels or out there for me anyway the film was just I think it was more an insight mm. into it I think it's more highlighting it as opposed to celebrating it yeah, I, yeah. that's what I got from it really yeah, I think it's it's because most people wouldn't be aware of that and there's something about like there's the brutality brutality of it is coupled with the absolute camaraderie you know they you know they they back it, else, yeah it, it yeah. is absolutely yeah. and there's there's a there's a chivalry to it which harks back centuries yeah. which is quite lost on you know contemporary audiences or people who've been watching films like post second world war even you know because a lot of like post vietnam films are about the individual how the individual's affected by it and this is very much about how a, a substrata of society is affected by it and mm. they're like they're probably in some eyes lower than the working class because they're um, they're feral you know they're yeah. just out there in living in a an old well, it's bunker a great, or it's like a sea isn't fortress it? isn't it it's like mm. a defense thing they've got which is pretty cool I've got to say yeah yeah it's awesome because they can cycle yeah, around it a, as well there's like. great shots of them yeah cycling out of it like, <laughs> like a runway almost but um, it, yeah it has a bit of a documentary feel to it and I will say bits of it are somewhat shoddy but it doesn't really matter I mean I'm, I'm certainly not going to belittle those guys who've really taken it on board and have adopted the lifestyle mm. I think they they wouldn't be bothered about how well the filming was done. There are some really great bits in it, but 
throughout it, I was thinking about the acting. The acting often in it was a bit John Waters ish because it was all very amateurish. Yeah, but it doesn't really matter, you know. No, I think I think it really. I don't want to say it adds to it because that mm. sounds a bit condescending, but I, I, I think it well, it does give it something. Yeah, um, there's 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 something uh, genuine about it. But yeah, of the main characters there, um, Sandy Harbert's kind of the, the leader of the group, Undertaker. You got Stone himself, as as we said, is quite a sort of um, put upon character. He's got kind of hand dog expression all the time. But he's put up. That's the thing. Though. He's, he's also put, put upon by, upon by his, his girlfriend, girlfriend as well. He's living like quite a society, luxury kind of. The yeah. boy. In fact, there's a great scene when she phones the police and says, "When is he coming back?" So, oh, well, he's, yeah. Not realizing he's like. No, knowing he's undercover, but not yeah. realizing what that entails, and she's like, "Well, we need him because he's a very good tennis yeah. player." I appreciate <laughs> he's a good detective, yes. but, but we're one short for tennis today. <laughs> uh, but other characters, Doctor Death, he's fantastic. Though. Who, because they they do a great job of introducing these characters after these the spate of deaths at the beginning. Um, one of the gang is buried. Um, Vertically, yes. <laughs> so you don't have to take anything lying down from the evil one. <laughs> but Doctor Death, who looks, he's got an eye patch, a droopy moustache, a top hat, and a cape. And just when he's leading the service, and just screams, "Satan!" <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's comical, but it also has quite a lot of power to it. You know? Yeah, it's, it's great. Which is then immediately followed up by. Um, just a wonderfully done bit because uh, cutting around that you've got two Australian policemen who turn up <laughs> yeah. so, oh what are those morons doing and it's a beautiful bit because the um, music well, yeah <laughs> there's one of the gang that's kind of American sounding guy says hey man it's septic. The pigs. septic hey man here come the pigs and these two actors I've got to say one of the cops looks like the corpse of Tommy Cooper <laughs> he's got really sunken eyes and supernaturally yeah. black hair and they're tight polyester suits they're both really out of shape it's them kind of waddling down the path towards the grave for probably 10 seconds or something, which would have been a terrible shot to have included. It didn't need to be there. But over it, yeah, this incredible piece of music, which um, certainly for British listeners, it was just it made me think of Rolf Harris, because it's all yeah. with voices, isn't it? Like, yeah. oh, oh, oh. But it's again, it's noises which are either a, a, a motorbike engine revving up or flatulence. <laughs> all over it. And... Uh, it's just the the, uh, the contempt for it, the yeah. oozing out of the film. <laughs> All these guys are sent packing, but absolutely wonderful. Um, and throughout it, yeah, the the sound design's large. There's a lot of good rock rock in it, you know. Um, yeah, well, it's like, especially done for the film. Billy Green, is it who uh, who did the soundtrack? Obviously, with an I'd adaptation of um, Dylan Thomas, I think one of the poems is it "Do Not Go Gentle Into yeah, Good yeah. Night." I think, but have over the end. Um, but also a lot of kind of weird electronic noise as well. Yeah, loads, yeah, loads. Yeah. Very much of that time, you know. Yeah. Like, um, I suppose, uh, like when Kraftwerk were doing more, not rhythmic stuff, but I just suppose people sound. were like, yeah, getting into like experimentalism with um, no, because we watched like Let's Scare Jessica to Death, and yeah. you had that kind of a yeah. when uh, Deathbed, and yeah. you have these like very oh, even Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm. you know, they, mm. they all have those kind. But this particularly because. Yeah, it's very visual and um, like the, the drug scenes, like because there's a number of scenes where people are taking drugs, are really well done. I mean, they're they're kind of naive in some ways, but they're way better than the like far out yeah, stuff they, that you see nowadays. They've held up better. Than, 
they've held up better than say some of the Roger Corman ones which are about yeah, we've got yeah. this gel lighting effect because the great one is when it kind of also reflects the lower budget but I think it's really great it's the scene probably somewhere into the film when it's going around them in the and they're all toking like, yeah. they're all toking but it just kind of wobbles and you'd usually see that in a film thinking there's going to be a flashback and there isn't and it's just got oh no they're just having a little it's just voiceover they don't even yeah. talk either that's it their mouths yeah. are sealed but you get this voiceover like and it, it, it's not even yeah. like wobbly because it, it yeah. just goes out of focus and yeah. then comes back into focus and then it moves to the next person and it's just all their little um, comments about how they are because basically Stone has been com- he's confronting them he's saying like well why do you do yeah. this because I think one of Undertaker uh, Sandy Hartlett's girlfriend says like I think you, you just think we're all like uh, imbeciles yeah and he's like, well, how did you get together? And like, it, it all like it, it it encapsulates something. It really does. Like, even though it's a big drug scene, mm. but it it makes sense. Like the whole thing. It's quite funny. It's quite um, odd how you can have a scene where everyone's getting fucked up, but making sense of the whole film. Like, yeah. it's I really like yeah. that. It's, it's something. Uh, I don't know if it was purposely done in that way because I know Sandy Harbert said he didn't see a full cut of it until the world premiere which <laughs> and then he said I need to take 20 minutes off this yeah. <laughs> yeah. and then you get on the making of it cuts to a guy saying but they missed out all this he's like saying to one of these poor actors 30 years later well 25 years later but they missed that scene and <laughs> yeah. um, actually there's a big scene that we've we should have mentioned earlier which is just be ahead of the funeral but absolutely amazing which has this big convoy of bikers and I know the way they filmed this it says on the making of was they did a general call just saying if you're a biker do you want to come along to this it's like 400 bikers yeah. it looks amazing but also the guy mm. getting buried is on this kind of is motorbike it? and sidecar that looks like something from Death Race 2000 yes yeah, it? yeah 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 <laughs> kind of really geometric looking thing which is a motorbike but the sidecar is um, a is like a hearse yeah it's yeah. got the, the coffin on it and yeah it just looks amazing and they've got like and the fact that scene goes on for about four minutes you don't with that care because it's great music as yeah, well this yeah. beautiful yeah. like strings like I mean, it's, it's not Vangelis like... in Bitter Moon but it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's better than that like it's it's really like emotional music I mean yeah. it's I, I'm trying to think of something that you could equate it to but I don't know it's it's just really like high pitched strings like well, a bit like um, the soundtrack for a uh, uh, C'est l'important de mer, which is like a, a Zulavsky film, the first film we made in France, which is a really powerful, emotional, like evocative uh, soundtrack. But it's like that for me. But the way it then morphs into like a rocky yeah. track as well, <laughs> I really like that. It, it just works yeah. so well because you know you've you've got the sort of requiem feel to it all, and then it's like, wait, no, we're fucking bikers, like. Yeah. Boom, boom. No, and like I say, it goes on for ages, but you don't care. It's just no, like, really? no really great piece <laughs> and it's obvious because the whole film is made so cheaply you really appreciate stuff like that even more I think other great stuff um, Stone going around the to get the the, the dope on the uh, on the on the grave diggers the guy in the nightclub who's just going around playing a vibraphone <laughs> yeah. and drums whilst relaying a whole story about them I love those cats man yeah just because he looks about well in his 60s oh, doesn't yeah, he he's, uh, <laughs> he's been through it all <laughs> Like I said at the beginning, this doesn't really just nail its colours to the mast and say, you know, these bikers are fantastic people and this is who you should be on the side of. They're not always shown to be fantastic characters. 
There's, uh, you're right with that Guinness. Yeah, yeah you yeah. want to drink beer while you're talking about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, in fact, could you get me uh, yeah. one of my two percent Tesco lagers, Let please? Me pour my Guinness first. <laughs> <laughs> no, the scene when um, the bikers are in a bar and there's a couple of very straight-looking guys, but they just really intimidate you. Before them, aren't they? they? <laughs> Probably in Diamonds are Forever. Or something. No, I did it on a quiz. Oh, oh video, right. video quizzes. Sorry, I hadn't, uh, <laughs> hadn't, hadn't logged with me. But yeah, the, these guys are just minding their own business, aren't they? Whilst being um, absolutely harassed. They probably shouldn't have gone in there. It was probably an unwise move, but that sort of brings me around to we won't, as usual, um, discuss the ending. But that's one of the absolutely standout things about it is the finale for me. It's not what I, when I first watched this film, I did not expect that at all. It really, I don't know. I mean, it's not, it's not that it's unexpected. It's the way even. it's done. Because I just, suppose as you're watching it, you know that the film's going to resolve either with the bikers coming around to Stone's way of thinking, which is unlikely, or Stone going totally native and saying, I know I was meant to stop these guys from taking their revenge on this government agent. That's a real MacGuffin of a plot, isn't it? It's nothing at all. It's, uh, but it, it's something it's else. It's funny you know? because there, it is a MacGuffin. Like, it really is sort of nonsensical you don't need it yeah, yeah it's unnecessary but when you think back on it, well I think back on it and when I was watching it, I thought well, actually yeah no it's really it actually makes sense the whole thing you have this sort of outsider influence but you needed the extreme you needed to be yeah. like the lowest of the low and the highest of the high and show yeah. that massive gulf between yeah. them. And also the idea that they're not just having some paranoia about society's got it in for us. I suppose no, if you've no, actually no. got it made manifest. Then, yeah. 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 It's just a shame that the guy actually doing the assassinations looks like <laughs> 70s um, ventriloquist Roger de Courcy, doesn't he? He's oh, got I thought this. It was like, he was like a, I thought it was like a, a young Powers Booth meets Robert Duvall with a David Carradine chucked in. Oh, wow. I was thinking more... <laughs> um, Hulk Hogan or something he's got that droopy yeah 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 the, I the, guess the, with a dog darker the, though yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so yeah I guess uh, even though I have seen some other of those exploitation films I suppose this is the first of those I've really dipped into from not quite Hollywood uh, I know you've seen quite a few others yeah, so I've what? seen loads though, yeah. what's next Mad Dog Morgan would you recommend Mad Dog Morgan is on a par with this. I, I mean for the Osplay I, I like Australian films anyway and like mentioned this before Bad Boy Bubby is like one of my favourite films of all time but I think Stone is probably like from that period is my favourite um, Man from Hong Kong and Mad Dog Morgan are like just behind yeah Lost Mad, Weekend uh, I've not watched it I've, I just bought it recently oh yes you had, I had problems the, the with it yeah. with <laughs> Dead End Driving superb as well that's another Brian Trenchard Smith um, yeah if anyone buys not quite Hollywood see really great interviews with Quentin Tarantino and Brian Trenchard Smith it's so great to see like probably <laughs> one of the biggest selling Hollywood directors uh, who has an amazing passion for films talking to one of his heroes who just happens to be a, a British expat living in Australia who's made a load <laughs> of like it, it, there's something really wonderful about how worlds collide sometimes <laughs> So yeah, no, thanks, because you picked this one, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we've done this. But yeah, check this out, and check out Not Quite Hollywood. You Both. bastard. <laughs> oh, wow, man. Like, I really love the great diggers. They are far out. You know, they really, they're 
too cool. Hope you, wow, we've gone on for quite a while. But who knows what it'll be like once you've edited it. Because you're the man. <laughs> you're sticking it to me in my lifestyle now. Okay. I'd never stick it in you, Jim. <laughs> On that note, goodbye. Bye. Some ordinary man with a baseball bat stands over them and bashes in their heads. 